Hey everyone, before the podcast begins this week, I feel that a little bit like I'm working for NPR, uh, but I want to make a quick little word. Uh, on my Podbean page, when you uh, go over to that, there's going to be a link uh, that you can click to get over to the Urban Village Church org backslash give page. Um, it would really help us out in our ministry if you would take a moment and think about donating to our church. Uh, I won't talk about this a lot, but occasionally I'm going to drop this announcement in before we start the podcast. So again, if you go to my Podbean page uh, in order to listen uh, and then click so that you can support us, uh, any size gift is awesome and it helps us to continue to do the ministry that we feel called to do. All right, thanks. Here's the podcast. Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back, friends, to my podcast. It's great to be with you again. Thank you for listening. Hope that the month of October has started off well for you. We are in uh, right in the middle of a sermon series we are doing here at my church, Urban Village, about sex and relationships called Some Like It Hot. And so I hope that uh, these have been helpful for you in some way. Today's sermon, I will let you know, will be uh, perhaps a little sensitive for some, uh, maybe hard to listen to, but when we were putting together the topics for this series, we felt like it was something that we needed to address because, to be honest, churches don't talk about it a lot. Uh, We don't talk about it a whole lot in society, and that is um, sexual uh, assault, rape, sexual abuse, and so we felt like it was important for us to reflect on this with you today as well. So just to let you know, that's the topic as I head into the text that we're using. This comes from the book of Second Samuel in the Old Testament and uh, starts at the 13th chapter. And I'm picking it up at verse 8 and we'll read through verse 22. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down. She took dough, kneaded it, made cakes in his sight, and baked the cakes. Then she took the pan and set them out before him, but he refused to eat. Amnon said, Send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the chamber so that I may eat from your hand. So Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them near to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. She answered him, No, my brother, do not force me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do anything so vile. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the scoundrels in Israel. Now, therefore, I beg you, speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. Then Amnon was seized with a very great loathing for her. Indeed, his loathing was even greater than the lust he had felt for her. Amnon said to her, Get out! But she said to him, No, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him and said, Put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for this is how the virgin daughters of the king were clothed in earlier times. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. But Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she was wearing. She put her hand on her head and went away, crying aloud as she went. Her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon your brother been with you? Be quiet. For now, my sister, he is your brother. Do not take this to heart. 
So Tamar remained a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. May God's blessing be on this word in the ways that we hear it and respond to it. My wife and I went to a movie last week, and before the movie came on, there were, of course, the previews. And one of the previews that came on is for a horror movie. Uh, We're coming up on Halloween, so this is always usually a time when horror movies will make appearance in the movie theaters. And this particular movie is called Crimson Peak, and I don't really know what it's about. Uh, It appears that there is this uh, man who weds this young woman, and he lives in this creepy house, And his sister is a part of this, too, and I don't know if she lives there or what, but uh, again, I'm just looking at the clips, or I'm looking at the trailer, not the actual movie, but uh, in one part, in in this creepy old house, this new husband and wife are living and the voiceover comes, and there's this close-up of the young woman, and the, the voiceover says something to the effect of, there are parts of the house that are unsafe. And then the husband said, the new husband says to the young woman, the new wife, never go below this level, meaning there is a part in the house you are not to go below. It doesn't say why or what, but you can tell it's creepy. Uh, and of course, this being a horror movie, uh, and it's one of the classic components of a horror movie, she goes below and all kinds of, there's a crickety old elevator and it's going down and all kinds of scary things happen after that. Well, you know, I bring that up because we do that with the Bible sometimes, too, that there are parts of the Bible where we either consciously or unconsciously say to ourselves, don't go there. There are parts of this passage, parts of these scriptures that are unsafe. Never go to this part of the Bible. There is um, in the church something, something called the lectionary where certain passages of the Bible are lifted up each week and a pastor has the opportunity to reflect on that and preach on that. So, and that's over a three-year process. So every week there's a, a chunk of scripture to be read. Now, of course, you can't read through the whole Bible. In fact, uh, only 41% of the New Testament is covered over that three-year period. And I didn't know this until this week, only 6% of the Old Testament is read in the lectionary. So these are texts that are chosen and encourage the pastors to preach on these things. So this passage I just read from Second Samuel, you can imagine, it did not make the cut to go on the lectionary. So it's a text that probably doesn't get preached on very often as all. As you hear today, you may be surprised that it's even in there. It's hard to read it. And we might think to ourselves, this is in the Bible? And so we sometimes pretend that it's not there. But it is. One scholar calls this a text of terror, to be sure. It is. But I believe that there's a reason why it's in there. We cannot ignore it and just laugh it off like an old relative. You know, we do that with the Bible sometimes. There are passages that make no sense to us, and we just say, oh, that's just that part of the Bible. It's like we have this relative that we don't want to acknowledge. We say, oh, that's just old Uncle Morty. We don't take him seriously. And yet, maybe we think about these passages in the Bible that really trouble us, and we can't just ignore them. We have to look at them and get a sense of, The context, what was it saying at the time, and what does it say to us today? And perhaps that's what we should do with this text as well. We have to take it seriously, and by that I mean we have to explore what it means in its context and what it means for us today. There are a lot of passages in the scriptures that fit this category. 
And I think it's also important to include this in this sermon series. I mentioned a couple weeks ago that so often the church has two polar opposite ways of looking at sex, either that it's a troubling necessity or in recent years especially, it talks about it encourages people to to wait, uh, to abstain from sex. But then they say, once you get married, sex will just be unbelievable. But we are also, we need to be aware of parts in our society where sex is painful and brings back bad memories, leads to depression, and at times even suicide. We hardly ever talk about in the church, hardly ever talk about sexual abuse and rape. It's important for us to remember those who have been assaulted, to be with them and comfort them, to give them safe space, to help them heal, to encourage them to find their voice and join our voices with them. And it may be the case for some of us, as I'm sharing this with you, that we may, you may need to look at your own attitudes and behaviors and asking ourselves, are we consciously or not encouraging a culture where this is okay? And there may be people hearing this today who, for whatever reason, need forgiveness and restoration. That's a lot to cover in this passage and in this podcast. So we won't cover absolutely all of it. I won't dwell on all these components, but I do think it's important for us to think about it. So let's take a look at this text, this text of terror. It's interesting to note that um, really the author, scholars believe, of this text is most concerned about these two brothers, Absalom and Amnon. Uh, The two main characters, two of the main characters in this passage, Amnon and Tamar, are actually half siblings. Uh, Amnon and Absalom are brothers. Uh, Amnon is the first to succeed King David. You may have heard of King David and the stories about him in the Old Testament. So Amnon is ready to take over once uh, David passes on, but there's some fighting about who will be the one to succeed King David. And so as one scholar notes, Tamar is an event rather than a person in this story. How will this quest for power between Absalom and Amnon take place once this happens? Tamar, after I read this text today, is never heard from again. But we today want to, in a sense, make sure that she's named, that her voice is heard. But we don't have to do that for her. She is able to give voice herself, and I'll share that in a minute. But just some instances of how Tamar is abused, certainly not only by Amnon, but by the author as well. Tamar is named only after her identity as Absalom's beautiful sister is established. This is earlier in the text, starting at uh, verse 1. Verse uh, Chapter 13, verse 1 says, Some time past, David's son Absalom had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. So the, her beauty was named first before her identity was given. As we read this text, it is clear what Amnon has in mind. He takes hold of her. And in the Hebrew, this is a verb that emphasizes strength. It means to grasp or seize. And the meaning of the word force, the verb force that's in this text as well, is connected with concepts of humiliation and oppression. But despite all this, 
It's amazing. Tamar is courageous in so many different ways in this passage. At first, she's courageous in voicing wise counsel in the face of threat. It's just kind of incomprehensible that she can be the wise one. She is the one who's trying to advise Amnon after this deed has been done. She is, in a sense, kind of looking out for both of them and their reputations and what will happen. But then later on in the text, after voicing this wise counsel, she still refuses to be ignored. Her voice still will be heard. And we see this in verse 18 that says, Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for this is how the virgin daughters of the king were clothed in earlier times. So she tears this garment, this garment that signifies her virginity and her marriageability. This is public lamentation. There is loud Weeping, no doubt. Tamar's public cry, outcry, ensures that the chain of consequences will now flow unbroken from Amnon's act and originally from David's acts of adultery and murder. We may know and remember the story of David and Bathsheba, but unlike Bathsheba, Tamar has voiced, has voice and action and speaks and acts with wisdom and courage. But still, as I noted earlier, this is a story of men set in power and politics. So it is troubling to read this. And as we read through this and we wonder to ourselves, why is this in the Bible? And again, we can look at the historical context and see this was really partly a power play between Absalom and Amnon. But in addition, then, we can take a look at this with our 21st century eyes and say, how does this speak to us today? And we ask ourselves, how are the voices of women treated in 2015? Here in Chicago over the last several months, one news item that has been of interest to many people has to do with a member of the Chicago Blackhawks, the Chicago's hockey team. One of their best players named Patrick Kane. Um, Earlier this summer, Patrick Kane was accused of sexual assault of a woman. It is still in the courts. Um, There has still been no trial set and still uh, unsure as to whether he will be tried. But what has been interesting to me in reading all of this is not only the immediate assumption from some that he is innocent... But also, when people start talking about this and the abuse that they suffer because of it. So, for example, there is a sports writer named Julie DeCaro, or a sports journalist in Chicago named Julie DeCaro. And she wrote some time ago about her own rape when she was in college. And she talked about this case and in talking about it and making sure that it's not, we should not just jump to the inclusion that this sports hero is innocent that we have to let the courts do their, uh, or take, take their course so that we have a sense of who is innocent and who is guilty here. And so she wrote about it and she tweeted it. And the response to her was just evil. She put these tweets, and I can't read them today because it's, they're just too awful to read, but one of them simply said in response to what Julie DeCaro was writing I hope she gets raped again in response to writing about her own experience. 
And in this article that she wrote about her experience and about the experience of people abusing her via Twitter and other social media, when she says, make no mistake, these tweets are not meant to express disagreement. They are calculated to destroy, demean, and denigrate the women they target in a public forum. For whatever reason, when somebody stands up and says, we need to see if perhaps we should listen to the alleged victim here, and when the woman then begins to share her own story so that she is making her voice be heard, there are some in our society who just cannot bear to hear it. And it's almost like there's a loathing within them. There's something within them that causes them to respond this way. And so society works to silence these voices, much like Tamar's voice was silenced as well. But we see examples of women who refuse to be silenced. Just two weeks ago, in a newspaper in Chicago called the Chicago uh, Reader, there was an article about the University of Chicago. And the headline of the story, or the cover, is the cover story, and the cover said, Don't Be a Rapist. So it was one of those jarring headlines that grabs your attention. And it was a long article about how the University of Chicago has dealt with, sometimes uh, in not helpful ways, not in ways that have uh, harmed those who have been assaulted. But people there are, women there are not allowing themselves to be silenced. For the last three years, there's something called the University of Chicago Clothesline Project. And these, this group of women are collecting stories from rape victims in the U of C community. And then each story becomes a t-shirt that's hand-painted by a volunteer. And the group displays the shirt several times a year as a public art project. And now the Clothesline Project has 175 shirts. And as you go around and read some of these t-shirts, you can see some of the things that it says and the responses from some of the women who have been assaulted. My rapist graduated. I'm still here, said one t-shirt. I was raped 10 years ago. I just said it aloud last month. The cops refused to arrest. They said it was a, quote, learning moment, unquote. This university failed me and covered up my assault. So this group and these women are refusing to be silent here. And they have brought about change, radical change at the University of Chicago. Change so that the administration there are doing something about it. They have created a guidebook about what consent is and outlines different kinds of abuses. It's centralized the complaint process, and it's changed the emphasis of education. And this was, for me, another one of the big things that made me stop and really reflect on this. is So often in educating and in orientations, a lot of the information was geared toward the women, telling the women what to do, what not to do, saying, don't get inebriated, don't go into these places, always have somebody with you. And so it was putting the onus on the women. And so finally, the shift in education, education, and that's the headline of the story, was it is also going toward potential perpetrators as well, saying, don't be a rapist. It should not, the onus shouldn't only be on those who are potential victims, but that others must reflect on their own behaviors, how they view women as well. A quote in the story 
from one of the project's directors from the university from the clothesline project one of the project directors said last year we want to give survivors a voice and one of her co-directors wanted to correct her did correct her by saying survivors always have a voice they're afraid to use it we want to help amplify their voices and give them more agency One of the hard, hard things when looking at a text like this is trying to get a sense of where's the good news. We were talking about that in our staff meeting this week and how challenging it is because often you want to glean the text for where's the good news here? Where is the presence of God? Where is the hope in new life in Christ? And it's hard to find it in here. And it's been heavy in talking about some of these things. But perhaps we can go back to Tamar and we can remember her voice and draw strength from the fact that she would not be silenced in her own way. And centuries later, as we look today and think, where is the hope here? Where is new life? Where is the good news? Perhaps we can draw inspiration from Tamar today and say, How can I let my voice be heard? Or how can I help someone else have their voice be heard as well? What can I do to make sure that someone is not silenced and that someone is not in this alone? So I encourage you, wherever you are, to think about what might your voice sound like. Perhaps you are in a place where you need to name that I was assaulted, I was raped, and have the courage to be able to to name that and begin the healing and recovery process. Maybe you are in a place where you can say, I am going to do all I can to advocate for somebody I know to make sure that they are being uh, heard and that the healing process is starting. We also have to acknowledge that there might be somebody listening to this who is saying, I need forgiveness. I need to repent. I hope that you can allow your voice to be heard. That you can perhaps draw some strength and hope from Tamar. That you can do what you can to find someone else to be with you, knowing that God is with you in the midst of this, that against all odds, Tamar's voice still is heard today. And maybe that's part of the miracle as well. That Tamar's voice was heard in this very patriarchal society and that we can hear it today. And so we remember her and the voices that we hear today. And we commit ourselves to making sure that all those voices are heard as they are most certainly heard by God as well. And for that, I am grateful. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening and being with me today in this podcast. I know, like I said earlier, it's not the easiest one to hear, but perhaps um, it's helpful for you. On the Podbean page, I'm going to put uh, a link to um, some organizations that can help you if you're hearing this today and are wanting someone to talk to about this, about something perhaps that's happened to you in the past. You can click on those uh, links and get the help that you need. And certainly you're always welcome to reach out to me as well. Chris at urbanvillagechurch.org. And on Twitter, I'm at Christian Kuhn, and you can respond to me, and I can um, start the process of getting you the help that you need as well. But I appreciate your um, listening today, 
And uh, may the peace of Christ and the strength of God and the power of the Holy Spirit be yours. Amen.